0: Well, good morning, gentlemen. It's good to hear your voices. There's some coffee up front here, if, uh, if you want it. It is uh, week two of Grace and Granite, or G&G, as we call it at, uh, uh, at our house. And uh, I just want to tell you, last week we had three Grace and Granite books. And um, the, the ladies in the office... This, this is a vote of confidence for you men. I mean, they, they think that you are overachievers, okay? They printed 100 Grace and Granite books. So you've got some recruiting to do, all right? There were 60 guys here last week. I don't know how many you will end up rolling in today, but uh, fear not. We have plenty of Grace and Granite books, and uh, it's, seriously, invite somebody uh, uh, to come, this is, I mean, I, if there's, of course, there's a lot of things that, uh, that I was lamenting over the, the COVID lockdowns and such, but missing Grace and Granite was, was close to the top of the list, so I'm so thankful to be back. You know, uh, if you've been with us before, if not, um, we start with uh, just a scripture reading. I think I mentioned last week, Psalm on the Day. Uh, and so we're going to read Psalm 8 this morning because it's the 8th of January. Then I'll open in prayer. Uh, and then we'll have a little video. They're normally anywhere from 3 to 7 minutes. I think this one's about 4. Uh, it's uh, MacArthur. And um, we are going back to uh, Chapter 1, the very first study, uh, and, uh, and just reviewing our foundational convictions for why we do uh, this on, uh, on Tuesday morning. Uh, and then ultimately, after we, we did that last time and, uh, and this morning, and then eventually we're going to be uh, in series nine, which is about uh, the church, serving the church, using your gifts in the church. Why is the church so important? Um, and I'm really looking forward to get, getting there because we live in a culture that, that views the church like, uh, like something that's optional. Um, it's just, you know, me and Jesus... Uh, you'll witness to people, and you'll you know you'll typically hear, "Well, I don't have to go to church to be saved," and that's true, obviously. Or I have my relationship with God, you know, in the in the deer stand. It's just me and God, you know. I don't need to, to have formal uh, a formalized expression of religion, and so on and so forth. So on and so forth. And that, that is totally contrary to the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament does not know of a believer. Uh, that's outside of uh, of a local fellowship. I understand you can find exceptions and extremes when the church is growing and, you know, I'm, I'm out in the middle of the jungle and there's nobody to gather with. Well, you're in Lynchburg, Virginia. There are 400 churches in Lynchburg, Virginia. So you're not in the jungle. You're here, and and there are good biblical churches. And you, you cannot practice... Uh, the commands of the New Testament. How do you love one another? You know, how do you forgive one another? How do you serve one another? When the Bible talks about that, it's not that you're serving some amorphous blob like the Universal Church. You're you're part of a local fellowship, and you're sitting in the pews besides other beside other people uh, who sin against you and uh, who love you and do all of those things, and then you you practice the gospel there, and it's an expression. It, it really puts the the Lord on display. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, we're, we're back in the foundational commitment so or conviction. So uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 8 or flip your phone to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 and then it would be Psalm 38 and 68 and 98 and 128. We're not going to read all of those. We'll just start with Psalm 8. It's the Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your name, who you are, all that you are, packed into that, that phrase. How majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful seas. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Watch this build in intensity. You have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. And you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field and birds of the heaven and flesh, a fish of the sea. Whoever passes through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, it is true that you have revealed yourself uh, through creation. Bible tells us that's enough to condemn a man because of the depravity in his heart. We we see the reality that, that we didn't come from nothing and that there's something bigger than us in nature and we make gods in our own image, we even worship nature in some way and we think we're too sophisticated to worship idols, so these little um, things made of, of wood or, or stone and and yet we we worship creatures we worship ourselves humanism is nothing more than an expression of, of an idol and you've also revealed yourself in the in the text of scripture and we are so thankful for this and so for us those of us who know you as god our eyes have been opened we we look into nature and we know that you are the creator and that humbles us it's 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 just vast and we often think just like David who are we that you would even pay attention to us much less hear us much less even be aware and as David said you have placed us over this creation you've given us dominion placed things under our feet Um, it's amazing you are amazing we want to spread your glory throughout the earth so bless us this morning teach us uh, strengthen us let iron sharpen iron Turn all of our eyes to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. All right, we've got, uh, I think it's a four or five minute video of MacArthur. It's, you're not going to get any on-ramp. So this is somebody who cut a clip out of, out of his sermon. Uh, it's not in your face, but just realize you're you're jumping right in the middle of, of a sermon. But it is applicable to what we are doing.
1: And on the other hand, the only hope for stability and the only hope for sanity... The only hope for peace in a society is masculine, virtuous men. Evil abounds absolutely everywhere. How men respond to its presence determines the survival and well-being of a society. Let me say that again. Evil abounds everywhere. How men respond to its presence determines the survival and well-being of that society. One psychologist said, masculinity is taking responsibility to reduce evil and produce good. No culture will ever rise above the character of its men. The feminist lie has been that patriarchy is, is bad, it is tyrannical, it is toxic, it needs to be destroyed, and they've been doing it for decades. To destroy masculinity, to destroy strong male leadership and character leads to the current disaster. Irresponsible men running loose in the streets, terrorizing the society. And men are in a crisis today. They are being continually told to try to get in touch with their feminine side, so they have become defensive about their masculinity. Women rise higher and higher and higher and more frequently into positions of leadership as men feel overwhelmed and overpowered. And unable to fight against the trend. Oh, there are lots of men at the gym, pretty buff, they have some muscles, but they're doing virtually nothing to stop the tide of evil in the world. And by the way, in case women haven't begun to realize it, weak, immoral men abuse women. And they produce more weak, immoral sons. No, children don't get their view of God from their father, but they do get their view of what a man is. And we are in some serious trouble because the current crop of men are infecting the children. Listen to the Word of God. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Listen to Exodus 34, 7. God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation.
0: There's a lot of truth in that, huh? In you, this morning, you are a a counter to what MacArthur just just said. Um, And that's what we're here to do. Uh, We're here to build men, men of virtue, men of character, Men of grace, because we can't do anything. We're not talking about getting in touch with your hairy man side and, and being some, some, you know, macho kind of, of guy. Um, you need the grace. Be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you also need to be men of granite. Um, there are no weak men, uh, soft men, men without character, men without virtue that are going to do anything in the world, and, and the same in the church. Um, God has ordained that men lead, lead in the church, lead in the home, uh, and lead in society, Um, lead in the home first and then in the church, and then that influence will spill over uh, into society. So what does it look like to be a strong man? And that's really what, what we're talking about doing. And and, and and you learn that he he even used those those passages toward the end there of Exodus and Deuteronomy about fathers to sons and the Bible gives a clearly gives a, a lot of of uh, of commands to 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 earthly fathers to to physical sons but the apostle Paul uses another analogy doesn't he sons in the faith Timothy was his son in the faith so don't just hear that as as, uh, as, as like I would do to, to my physical sons, their spiritual fathers and spiritual sons, and you pass on the truth, and, and you're part of that of that process. You may have noticed that the pulpit is different uh, the, this morning. I found this downstairs in a closet. Um, this is the original or one of the original pulpits of Timberlake Baptist Church going back over 75 years years. Um, There's still some really like baby puke green carpet that's uh, glued to the bottom of it. Um, And where the Expositor Seminary Room is, the very end of this hall, I mean, if you've you've ever noticed, there are doors that we never use, unless we have a funeral in here and then we roll the casket through the doors, that that those doors are like facing Timberlake Road because that was the original chapel of this church. I mean, it may hold a hundred people. I mean, with pews packed packed in there, and then it just it just grew and built on, and and then in this section that you're you're sitting in right now was the sanctuary, and then they built this section, and and then we built the green roofed building, and 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 my point is, the the church started, and and the church grew, and and this is one of the original pulpits, and um, I told Matt St. Clair about three weeks ago. I said, I want this thing. I want it. I want to. I don't want to, you know, revarnish it, but 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 I want to use it. And when I look at it here on on the ends, you know, Clay was teasing me. It's kind of low. It feels like riding a, you know, riding a horse or a motorcycle. Um, it, it's it's very different. But when I look at the 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 sides here, um, the wood is worn. You know, there's there's no stain at all on the side where where men. Men have done this with their Bibles and they've preached for 75 years to other men and women and children and kept the faith. And we're here because we're standing on their shoulders. The fathers of Timberlake Baptist Church that are dead and gone, many of them, uh, proclaim the truth from, from this. And we're still doing that. And Lord willing, if Jesus tarries, you're going to be dead and gone in the grave and somebody else in Timberlake Baptist Church is going to be standing proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ or whatever the culture looks like and whatever the new COVID or whatever comes down, down the path. How does that happen? Well, it happens through what we're, we're doing here this morning. Men build other men and the tool that we use is the Word of God. The Word of God will put steel in your spiritual spine. If you don't have that, then, then you're going to be going to be blown about by every wind of doctrine, as the Bible says. So, look if you would at page one and page two. We're looking at some foundational convictions. And the purpose of the series is to drive home. Does anybody need a Grayson Granite book? All right, we have two, three back there. Mike will will bring you one. Three of them. Convictions are what help men help give men the courage to stand on the truth and then vigorously apply it in their, in their lives. And so the purpose of this training of Grace and Granite is to build men build a stronger commitment to the bride of Christ. It's not just to make you a strong Christian for you to go off on your own, but to be part of a network of men that are in the body of, of Christ. And so last time we talked about having a working biblical literacy, and, and we talked about where would you start. I mean, you need to know the Bible. Everybody, yes, I need to know the Bible. Well, where do you start? shared with you in my testimony, I didn't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament. I couldn't even have given you one category of, of systematic theology. Um, just clueless. So where do you where do you start? And, and we, we we talked about the triangle. If you just start reading the scriptures, just read the Bible, uh, and then from reading the Bible, the, the the next layer is is understand inductive Bible study, inductive method. You know, observation, interpretation, and then implication. So what? If this is what it says. You know. So what does it mean? Don't ask what does it mean first. What does it say? What does it mean? And then so what? I mean, how am I supposed to apply that in in my life? And the Bible doesn't always tell you what to do. Uh, Most of the Bible tells you what to think, because when your mind is renewed and changed, then your behavior changes. Clearly, it tells you things to to do and not do, but it aims at the aims at the at the mind, and and it's aiming at the mind because the heart's already been transformed by the by the Spirit of God through the gospel. So the Word of God is the the sword of the of the spirit. So read the Bible, then begin to understand the the inductive method. You know who, what, when, where, why, how. Um, then from there, learn biblical theology. Understand that the Bible has a uh, has a uh, a beginning and an end. There's a storyline, a great redemptive thread, as it's called. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, it's His. Revelation, God is revealing himself. God's the main character in the Bible, not the people that that you read. Um, And then from there, once you understand the storyline, now you can get into systematic theology. Well, the Bible says the same thing over and over and over. So what does it teach about God? What does it teach about man? What does it teach about sin? What does it teach about salvation? Um, And then from there, you you get to uh, practical theology. Not to say that you're not applying the Bible all the way through, but I think one of the hardest things that uh, hardest transitions that that we have is to go from what the Bible says, understanding what it says, to consistently putting it into practice in our life. Which is why the Bible says, "Don't just be a hearer of the word; be a doer uh, of the word." And so uh, Mark talks about our integrity gap. You know, we we. We believe a lot more than we than, than we actually do. We're always bringing that integrity gap together. This is what I believe. This is what I practice in my life, and, I'm, I'm, and my goal every day is to, is to get as little daylight between those two things as possible. And then and then I drift. You know, I, I I get out of the word, or something comes in my life, or some difficulty, and then and now I'm trying to to press that back together. And we do that together. With, with, with one another. So we talked about that last time. Today, we're on number two, having the right perspective of leadership. Have a working biblical literacy, and then you're not alone. You have a right perspective on leadership. This is on page two under number two. We must avoid viewing leadership as organization, event planning, and mobilizing large groups of, of people. How do we do what MacArthur admonished us this morning so important, build godly men? Um, and I'm telling you that, that we have to have a commitment to the scriptures and, and we know them. How do we, how do, we do that together together? Um, we have to have a, the right perspective on leadership. Uh, the world has such a faulty view of leadership. It's not new. is mean, what Jesus said to the disciples. Don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over people. You know, if you want to be uh, great in the kingdom, and you know, they're arguing, can I sit at the right or the left hand? You'll be a servant. You'll be the greatest, be a slave. He turns the paradigm upside down. What does it look like to to have the right perspective of, of leadership. So you have to avoid the world's view. And the world's view is a leader is somebody who can gather a crowd, somebody who can motivate uh, others, somebody who can plan something that you want to come to, um, mobilizing large groups of, of people. So what is leadership? What does it look like? What does it look like to lead other men? What's a biblical view of leadership? Um, in your family, in your church. It's all listed here under B. We must cling to the Scriptures. What did the Apostle Paul, how did Paul define leadership? Jesus says, servant and slave. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Where's the emphasis in that that statement? Paul saying, follow me! I follow Christ. Is that what he's saying? Well, clearly, there's there's an aspect of somebody is a step ahead of you. Somebody's pulling you along by their convictions and their commitments. They're following somebody else, right? I mean, I'm preaching from a pulpit that has been here for over 75 years. I'm following somebody. You're following somebody. Somebody's come along before us. That's why it's good to read church history. You're not the first one to try to figure all this out. It's a pretty arrogant thing to think that, you know, God just dropped you in the middle of Lynchburg and now you're going to save the world as if the Lord hasn't been doing any work here all along. But you're following somebody. Somebody's following you. So the emphasis there is, yeah, follow me. But the emphasis for Paul is, follow me, is I follow Christ. I follow Christ. I mean, that, that's leadership. I follow Christ. I go hard after Christ. I do everything that I find here. And doing that, then then I bring somebody else along in my, in my wake, in the the gravity that, that comes from, from going after uh, the Lord. And last time I shared with you uh, how, uh, how that happened in my life. Um, and maybe you've been thinking about that. I, I had somebody tell me you know, this last week, hey, that was really good. I, I, uh, I never thought about that. I'm going to start practicing that you know, in, in my life. How has somebody influenced you? I told you about Brett Edwards, who was a pastor. And I don't know if I shared this part of the story. Brett Edwards was the man, wasn't my pastor that discipled me. You know, I asked him to because my pastor was by and couldn't. Um, I met him through uh, a coworker, whose husband, her husband, was a deacon and was on the pulpit committee. So I listened to this guy's pulpit tapes and. So I was already used to you know, his, his teaching and, and otherwise. When I, when I got there and started uh, working with him, the material that he, that he gave me actually came from somebody who discipled him. And the person that discipled him was Jerry Kroll from Heritage Baptist Church, former pastor there. This man was a custodian at Heritage Baptist Church. I have, I've never been to Lynchburg. This is long before I ever moved here. I had no idea who Jerry Kroll was. I had no idea who... I, I didn't even know about Lynchburg, really. Um, and somebody had done that, no doubt, with with Jerry Kroll. And then Jerry Kroll poured into a custodian who was going to Liberty Bible Institute at that point. And then here is this man, just providentially, how many ever years later, pouring into me. And the Lord obviously knew. And I can remember coming to Lynchburg thinking... Well, hey, there's that church, the guy that discipled me talking, you know, talking about. It. The pastor's still over there. Jerry Kroll was still, was still over there. So how's that happened in your life? Can you give uh, an example of someone uh, who has, who has uh, discipled you, brought you along, maybe um, something else? Maybe it was a different way where somebody's been going after Christ And you have followed them. I can sit up here and drink coffee. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Amen.
2: He took how to pray, church every time the how to give, witness soul everything.
0: because what Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. It's not rocket science, as they say. Just really, you're following Christ and you're sharing what somebody taught you. Somebody else. And if you don't know, you go after it. A book that he was mentioning, you know, humility. When I was looking at starting an internship here with the other men, long before Expositor Seminary came along, he said, who's doing something like that? that point Mark Dever was just starting doing something like that maybe 10 years I called Mark Dever on the phone and said hey I want to come up and see what you're doing sure come on so we drove Earl Prince and I drove to Washington DC sat in on the internship he just opened the you know opened the cabinet and said here's what we do here's how we do it and we brought it back and said, this works for us that doesn't work and I mean there's you don't need to be original <laughs> or innovative that book list turned into about uh, twelve books, and then we started meeting uh, weekly basis, three hours at a time, and we'd read the books and we talk about the books, and and uh, then that turned into a, like a five month thing that that we were doing. We'd write little response papers to have something to, to talk about, and then out of that out of that group, the Lord burdened other men. They wanted additional studies, and and then. Um, that turned into the expositor seminary the expositor seminary turned into you know 10 years of, of training men through with theological education with a commitment to the scriptures and the church and then those men a number of them are are been launched to other places or serving you know here today and that same room where the church started is where those those men are being trained today so every time those screens come on um there is a there's a link to, to the past. I mean, just just going at it. Yeah, Ed? Uh I right. in turn to be a pastor of a church in California, the thing I remember most about the pastor that you sap will how much time you spent with me. Mm. Amen. In what way? Just uh every day, every morning? statement not all of it's taught it's caught Um, shepherd the flock of god among you Uh, that's why the bible doesn't know anything about a flat screen pastor as they're called you know Uh, the guy at some satellite place the church is not listening to john piper i love john piper or macarthur love john macarthur he's not your pastor There's a man that models that for you imperfectly. Um, Happens. Yeah. Rich? Yeah.
3: um, I spoke to Pastor, one of the guys that spoke to Pastor last week. Yeah. (laughs)
2: mm <laughs>
0: amen amen follow me as I follow Christ it's it's not making miniatures of yourself it's it's really you're following Christ and somebody else comes along and walks in that walks in that shadow um, I was thinking about when I was listening to rich we would have discussions after those those internship times the pastors like wow I never thought of that like one of the questions that they asked, you know, they're asking questions that we should have already thought of. It's like, I didn't think of it that way. So you're going to get as much out of it as, as someone else. We else have a quick one? Well, look at what it says here in um, We're looking at uh, have the right perspective of leadership. We must cling to the scriptures. Meticulously and faithfully pass the scriptures on to others. We just heard a number of examples. And I just want to challenge you before we leave this one. You, you heard a number of examples shared this morning. Who are you doing that with? Is there someone that, that you're meeting with? Whether you want to be the one that you've got the questions to ask them or, or you're sitting there going, I need to do that with someone else. Um, I was joking about the challenge of a hundred books, but I wasn't, in the sense that you need to be doing that. You need to be taking what is poured into you and pouring it out. Think of yourself like a pond. You know, There's a lot of fresh water coming in. You need a spillway. You need an overflow, and that in and out keeps everything you know, nice and clean. Have you ever seen a pond that, that the water gets so low that uh, that there there's no overflow going over the spillway. It gets stagnant and algae and green. It's nasty. You want a lot of water coming in and you want a lot of water going out. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. So who are you doing that with? Um, and it's as simple as go to McDonald's and talk through grace and granite. You don't have to come up with something new. You got it right here in front of you. Just go over that. All right. So challenge you that sometime between now and. You know, uh, within the next month, think that through and ask somebody. Because that's exactly what Paul's doing meticulously and faithfully. Gabe said, you know, somebody was calling him on, yeah, I got that desire. What are you doing about that desire? you got to be intentional. you got to follow through. I, I really want to get connected, you know, in the church. I really want to get, I'm praying to get connected. What are you doing to get connected? Are you showing up, you know, or are you sitting on the pew hoping somebody talks to you? Meticulously and faithfully pass the scriptures on to others. 2 Timothy 2.2, you know that well. Rich quoted it for us. Um, Look at what else. What does a right perspective of leadership look like? You're following Christ and others are following you. Well, it looks like that you're faithfully and meticulously passing the scriptures on to others. It also looks like you're declaring, you're telling people the truth even whenever it hurts. Paul did not shrink from declaring the whole purpose, the whole counsel of God. It obviously means that you need to know it yourself or be in the process of, of knowing it. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. you find a lot of people that will tell you what you want to hear or not tell you anything because they don't want to hurt you. Um, but that's not biblical leadership. Biblical leadership... As hard as it is, is sitting down with somebody else and saying, "Hey, brother, I need to ask you a question about this." Or when they say, "What do you think about this?" and you don't tap dance around the, you know, the issue, and then go talk about it to somebody else, you say, "This is what the scripture would say," and they may push back on you. Um, the people that mattered in my life. Well, think of think of this analogy. The teachers that you hated the most in high school and college are the ones that you learned the most from, right? The ones that were most difficult, the ones that just let you do whatever. And yeah, you know, yeah, that's great for the student. As a student, you didn't want to do the homework, but you probably didn't learn a lot from them. Um, in a scriptural, from a scriptural standpoint, you want people that are going to tell you the truth, uh, even if it hurts, and that's part of leadership. Um, do not shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God. I can remember meeting Brett, Brett Edwards one evening about three or four weeks into discipleship and we just got done with, a, um, with a, a leadership meeting at our church and I had butted heads as a 25-year-old man with a 50-year-old trustee, An old crusty Baptist trustee was saying that we didn't need to spend the money in the budget on the youth and I was the the youth guy and I was just indignant he doesn't care about the youth and this was just you know I was just going on and on and Brett just sit there and you know and and listen to me and, and he said well you know what why don't we why don't we pray for that brother because not everybody can be as spiritual as you are and um, let's let's just pray right now and I thought, huh? Wait a minute. I think he just—you think he just gutted me. Uh, and he—he um, he went on to say a number of things, just about uh, about how God uses even those circumstances like that, where somebody's pushing back. How should you respond to that? He's an older man. You're a younger man. He's been in the faith a long time. And even if he's wrong. What would Scripture say? Your attitude's not not biblical. It's not, not, not spiritual. It hurt, but I never forgot that lesson. Um, look at the number three there. You must pass on the gospel. So you have to pursue discipling others. What does leadership look like? Pursue discipling others. Pass the Scripture on to others. Tell people the truth, even when it hurts. Be that kind of friend. And the third thing is you witness. You pass the gospel on. In my Bible, I have a, a little witnessing card, you know, uh, God, uh, Man, Christ response, and on the back of it, it's got a number of, of verses. What was the last time you shared Jesus Christ with somebody? I mean, if you don't keep that in front of you, you are gonna you are gonna miss it. It's just gonna life's gonna creep in there. That's what a real man does. Somebody, that's what real leadership does. It's not just doing this with Christians. There's an unbelieving world out there that Jesus wants glory from. Now, he'll get it. He will build his church. It's not totally dependent upon you. Christ will gather in his own. But he uses means, and you're the means. Um, So you don't want to rob yourself of that uh, blessing, and you don't want to be disobedient. Why witness? Because Christ commanded you to witness. That's why witness. And that's what believers do. Look at number four. You also must be able to refute error. Um, knowing the truth, knowing sound doctrine, and being able to refute error. There's plenty of error out there. I think MacArthur talked enough about that. Right perspective of leadership. So there's your challenge for next week. Follow me as I follow Christ. Look at number three. Foundational commitments. Have a working biblical literacy. Have the right perspective of leadership. It's not just organizing or event planning. It's life on life. Number three, you have to apply the word to life's hardest questions. You have to apply the word to life's hardest questions. Tracy and I have a saying um, that really relates to this, specifically to biblical counseling, because I think, that's what biblical counseling does. It applies the scriptures to life's hardest questions because those questions are out there, but you typically don't like to do hard things until you're forced to do hard things. And so, when the wheels come off or there's a struggle, um, that's when you you know sometimes you will get serious about things. And biblical counseling helps you uh, to do that. But our saying is, she'll look at me or I'll look at her and I'll say, I hate Jay Adams. I hate Jay Adams. Jay Adams is the founder of one of the founders of of the new thetic counseling movement, and and this became a a family joke because if if you believe that, that the Bible is true and that's what we have to do. There is no wiggle room. Biblical counseling doesn't give you any wiggle room. It just confronts you, and you either do it or you or you don't. And and so we would try to make excuses, blame shift, and justify. And we would call one another on it. And it all came from our training from Jay Adams. And so we get in a point, a a spot where we don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to do it because it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. And that was kind of our ouch ouch statement. You know, I hate Jay Adams. Meaning, I don't have anywhere to run. I mean, he doesn't give me any cover. I got to do this. I've got to acknowledge. I've got to repent. I've got to forgive. I've got to do whatever is, whatever is hard. Um, and the Bible answers life's hardest questions. So you have to take the truth and work it out practically. Um, And that begins by renewing your mind. Don't be afraid um, by asking hard questions. The Bible has the answers to those hard questions. Apply the word to life's hardest questions. You may have an illustration of a hard question that you've taken to the Bible. Maybe a question you're still trying to figure out. Answer to? The answers are in the scriptures. Turn to the next page. True change must happen at the heart level. This is still part of applying the word to life's hardest questions. So we're talking about. That begins by renewing the mind. How do you renew the mind? True change must happen at the heart level. Before we can practically, we can make practical applications of truth to our conduct, we must know how the truth implicates our unbiblical thoughts, desires, affections, emotions, or the will. What does he mean by that? True change must happen at the heart level. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds like a biblical thing to say. Yeah, I can agree with that. Well, what does that mean? before we can make practical application of the truth to our conduct, before we, we can start doing this and start practicing this in my life, we must look at how the truth implicates our thoughts, our desires, our affections, our emotions, and our, and our will. You had somebody just say, well, just tell me what to do. You say, no, I, I, it's not just about telling you what to do. Um, you can go do that. What does the Bible tell you to think about that? And then how does that thinking, what the Bible's telling you to think about that, how does that that expose what you are thinking, what you should be thinking? That's really where change starts to take place. Truth implicates. And then from thoughts... Those thoughts change our desires and our affections and then our emotions follow, then our will. Look at number two. We, when we rush to make outward application, we undermine our spiritual renewal by focusing on changes in mere behavior. Moreover, one's individual's personal application of Scripture may be a necessary outward change for them but not for all others. In fact, our personal applications of biblical principles have no inherent authority. Only the truth is objective and divinely authoritative. This is why we go verse by verse through every book of the Bible, the whole counsel of God. I can tell you ten ways to fix your marriage, three ways to you know to fix your bank account, uh, five ways to pray. Some of that's helpful. Um, but not if you don't understand what a biblical marriage looks like to begin with and why you're supposed to have one. Um, not if you don't understand the biblical principles behind stewardship and, and, and otherwise. And you're not going to learn that in one sermon. It, it, it's just, it's, just it's, 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 it's layer of paint upon layer of paint, and it just happens over and over and over and over. Think of sanctification like sitting under the word like rain. It just raises the water table of your heart. A lot of times we think of sanctification, it only happens in the last three minutes of a sermon when just as I am has hit the fourth verse and I finally get convicted, I walk ahead, I bow, I pray, and then bang, there's sanctification. And I'm not discounting that. I mean, God has moved in my life in, 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 in very lightning bolt kinds of ways. But that's not where... Sanctification happens all the time. Sanctification is happening right now. And you may hear one thing today that God will add to tomorrow or later today. It's like rain. Sanctification just happens. Have you ever just, just evaluated what you understand today versus what you understood a year ago if you've actually been sitting under the Word? You're like, Wow, I've grown. In truth, I, I understand. So don't just think of sanctification as lightning bolt moments and, and when the thunder rolls. It happens. But normal sanctification happens every day. You're sitting under the Word. You're, there's just a steady rain. The water table rises. And then he used my friend Joel James's analogy. When you get in a crisis and you need to get to water, you go to biblical counseling who, who teaches you how to dig a well down to the water table. But just sit under it, the water gets closer and closer to the, to the surface. And so don't rush to make outward applications um, go through the process. We undermine our spiritual renewal when we focus on mere behavior. What are some key implication questions that you should be asking yourself as you're sitting under the book of Philippians? How does this truth confront my will? What am I doing? There's the doing part. What's behind that? What are idolatries of the heart? What must I confess and, and forsake? Ezekiel 14, 1 through 8. God will oppose. God will expose. And God will cut off those who persist. That's what Ezekiel says. Um... What are the unholy motivations ruling me? What are those life dominating things. Is there any unbiblical or heretical thought pattern? Boy, that's really where somebody else can be, be helpful. I mean, we drink, as it said, we, we, we drink in iniquity like water. We, it's like fish. We're like fish. It's, we're just wet. We don't even realize it, the world around us. Somebody else, even in the way they're living, the way they're processing something. I never thought of it that way. It's challenging to you. Good number four. Yeah. That's what I want you to do. Just stop me any time. Ever had anybody confront you about something? You don't have, to, don't have to share what they confronted you about, unless you wanted to. But have you ever had somebody love you enough to say, "This is this is wrong"? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Praise God for him. For sure. I have. Yeah. There, Larry. Larry? Sure. You didn't say that, right? You didn't say that idiot boss at work. Yes. Sir. He said that, right? Okay, all right. Just making sure. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Go ahead. Um, I'd like to say that you don't have to be a pastor to do this. Yeah. You don't have to have a perfect path. Yeah. You need to pray. You need to ask the Holy Spirit and let God work through you. You don't have to be perfect. Amen. I don't know where it came from, but everybody needs a Paul, and everybody needs a Barnabas, and everybody needs a Timothy in their life. You've heard that before. You have a Paul, somebody that's ahead of you. Barnabas, somebody who's same level walking with you and somebody's a Timothy, somebody that you're bringing bringing them along. And, uh, that's good. Any other comments? Yeah. Amen. Because without them, they,
4: yeah. Without doubt, you know, I've been to churches previously
0: through the years where they have not had that experience. Yeah. And I could not understand why. Mm. And, again, yeah. Uh, and the church is at Yeah. So I think it all corresponds. Amen. Thank you. So, Amen. Yeah, isolation. Is, uh, is is typically indicative of, of something going on in your life. You don't withdraw without that. Rich? Yeah, but hearing these
3: things here reminds me of what sharing earlier Professor Brody, brought it to a head issue
0: Yeah, it might just be as simple as you're on the Barnabas level. You don't know who's above you or who's below you in the process. And as we said, sanctification—you can—it's all over the place. Just go to McDonald's with somebody and talk about grace and granite and see what happens. I mean, it can just be that easy as whenever you you start. But, uh, amen. Final comments. So we have 97 books left. We got rid of three of them this morning, right? So we got some work to do. Once you buy your heads, and just want to pray in this way. You're, we're going to close. And I want you to close in your own way. Something's been said this morning that you've been convicted by that you need to do, you need to ask God maybe for somebody to pour into, somebody to walk with you. Um, somebody for you to pour into and uh, don't waste this opportunity we'll just close in this way ask the Lord what he would have you do Father, we thank you for the challenge that you've given us this morning. We, we want to be faithful slaves, not disobedient ones. And, um, so we take the challenge that you have laid before us. We want to be godly men. We want to be strong men. And uh, you are the one who's ultimately doing the work. You'll perfect what you began. So, um, but help us to obey, not just to be hearers this morning. I pray for every man in this room that they will do what they have heard bring the connections together the relationships and uh, Lord I, I, I didn't plan on this beforehand and you can do whatever you want to do and there won't be any sense of failure if you don't but but I pray um, that we would work on those 97 books until, until they're gone um, whatever the others do with them Use us uh, to to bring yourself great glory, um, strong, godly men who love Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
3: You guys have a great day.